Well, I'm glad to be back with you. I'm sure you've been stewing on what we talked about a couple weeks back. I didn't see any new activity up on the pool table, but I assume that's because you're really clean and you put everything back um, where it was. But the thing we were talking about was using Proverbs as kind of our guide for when we have difficult decisions in our life to make where the answer that we're looking for doesn't seem to be explicitly written out in Scripture. So how do we still use what God has revealed to us to help us in those um, difficult decisions? And it comes down to being, what does it mean to be wise when making a decision when the Bible doesn't seem as specific as we might think it should be or hope that it would be? But we talked about how you know, that doesn't mean that God has left us high and dry. He doesn't want us to struggle and really have no idea what to do. God hasn't actually been unclear with us in the scripture. He's given us these principles, though, through his word that we can use to make wise, godly decisions. And he's given us a ton of those in Proverbs. So that's what we're going to continue through today, going down that same path we started a couple of weeks back, where we talked about those first four questions, which I know you have memorized, that will start to give us this grid or this set of tools that we can use when we come to this crossroads in our lives to make a, a big decision, which again, you're getting to an age where you're going to have more and more of these, so that I can make a good godly decision when God isn't as explicit as I might um, like. So we'll round out an additional four today for a total of eight to help you as you go through these bigger decisions in your life to try to be still within God's circle of his will that we talked about versus looking for the specific point. So quick recap, the first four questions that we talked about a couple of weeks back were what biblical principles should inform my decision? Uh, do I have all of the facts? What possible motives are driving my decision? And what should past experiences, how should past experiences inform my decision? If you remember, that's when we talked about dog vomit, which was probably your main takeaway from last time, which is fine. It's something. Um, but today we'll get to the next four. And since I spent so much time making it, I don't know if you appreciate the limitations of PowerPoint and making a pool table with balls on it, I'm going to bring it up again so that we can use this pool table, this billiards idea to, to help us think through it. So remember, if and when you ever play pool, you often have multiple options for what shot you're going to take. You have multiple valid decisions that you could make, not necessarily just one that you must take. So in our metaphor, God's will, uh, if you will, could, could help put the parameters around what shots are allowed versus just being one specific shot that we need to take. I might not know that there's not a specific shot I must take in this scenario of what I'm, you know, quote, supposed to do, but the rules of the game can give me the parameters for what I'm allowed to do. And that's how God will, God's will can give us the parameters of what's a biblically sound option. And we talked about the idea of trying to not learn which striped ball I must hit in, but how can, I, how can I identify which balls are the striped balls, the ones I'm allowed to go for. So in this game here, if I'm playing stripes, my easiest move would probably be to knock in this 12 ball here, right? That would be the safest shot that I could take. There's, it's a clearly good option that I could do. The 11 ball would also be a totally fine option to go for, not a lot of complication there. Um, the 14 ball, we talked a little bit about that one. That's also a sound option I can take within the rules of the game. Again, keeping the analogy going, that would be meaning a biblically sound decision that I could make. It just might be more complicated. In pool, that's a harder shot than a straightforward shot. I could introduce some stress into the situation if I go for that option, but I still have the freedom within the rules, the freedom within God's will to make that decision. Something I didn't mention last time, because I hadn't really thought of it, uh, but something to keep in mind here is you could actually miss one of these shots. If you take the shot, you could miss it. And missing the shot could leave you in maybe some kind of undesirable situation. But if you were to miss the shot, you still took a valid shot within the rules of the game, or again, in the metaphor, you made a biblically permissible choice, and it just didn't happen to work out in God's providence. So. I would encourage you that if you feel like you've made a good, valid, biblical choice and it didn't work out for you, that doesn't necessarily then mean you made a bad choice or you made a sinful decision. Sometimes in God's providence, things don't go our way, even though we feel like we did the right thing and we did what the Bible would have us do. Job is a great example of this, right? In Job's life, things have gone horribly wrong, and he's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here. 
And his friends are like, Job, come on. What'd you do? What did you do for all of this stuff to happen? And he's like, hmm, I think I did everything what I was supposed to do. I was repenting for my sins. I was even repenting for my kids' sins. Everything's gone crazy. I don't think that I did anything wrong. He feels like, and it seems as though he did do what God would require of him, but in God's providence, we got the behind-the-curtain view in that case. We see that God had still determined for these things to happen in his life, not on account of the decisions that Job made, but because that's what God's will was for him. So my encouragement to you would be that if you are convinced that you have taken a biblically valid shot, you've made a good biblical wise decision, and it didn't turn out, don't allow yourself to spiral and get stuck in, in, in the muck when something like that happens. You can still reflect on it, reflect on uh, what that experience taught you about God, what it taught you about yourself, how you can use that situation to, to grow your faith, but, but don't despair and don't second guess every little minutiae to see why did God punish me when I feel like I did the right thing. So keep that in mind. But anyway, that shot, that number 14 ball, that is still allowed. It's allowed to take a shot, but it might be more complicated and a miss might be more likely than it is with the other two. But as I keep saying here, the, the key thing for us to remember is that you are still free to make that choice because it is a good biblical, godly, um, wise choice. Additionally, within the rules of eight ball, just a reminder that I can't hit a solid ball before I hit a striped ball, if I'm the stripes, meaning, again, in the metaphor, we're keeping straight, that I can't sin to get to a non-sinning biblical option. I can't lie in order to get a good job, for example. So that nine ball there is not actually an option for me because I'd have to sin to get it, okay? So try to have this as the, as the backdrop. It'll be brought up at least five or six more times probably, um, but keep that in mind as we get through our next four questions to ask ourselves. So we'll go ahead and get cracking with that, starting with question number five, which is, have I honestly considered the warning signs? Okay, have I honestly considered the warning signs? First, we have Proverbs ten seventeen says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. We also have Proverbs 16, 25, which we mentioned last time, if you recall, but it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So be careful. Be careful is a bit of the message here, especially when you're like super confident or really feeling driven to one specific decision and rejecting all others. Make sure that it's not just that it seems right to you, but in the end would actually lead to your destruction, but also try to consider is this good and right according to God's standard? That's kind of the message we're getting here. And then Proverbs 27, 6, uh, I'm a big fan of this one, says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What does that mean? I'm, I'm typically not getting kisses from my enemies. So what are we talking about here? I think we understand faithful are the wounds of a friend. What faithful are the wounds of a friend means is that a real friend is going to be one that might not always tell you what it is you want to hear. Uh, a real friend, it's sometimes going to feel like they're wounding you, that they're hurting you in the moment, but it's because they're loving you enough to tell you the truth about something. They're there for you as that warning sign that you're doing something damaging to you, so I'm gonna damage you by saying something that's hard to hear in order to protect you. They love you enough to say, this is not a wise play, right? You're about to do something very harmful and foolish, you have other options. Now, depending on the relationship or maybe what side of the room you're sitting on, that could be a really well thought out, sympathetic, kind statement, or it could be, hey, bonehead, what are you doing? Stop being stupid. Both of those are very helpful, but that's what that wound from a friend is. And God gives us friends like that to warn us from making foolish choices. And then you, receiving that, have the option to either in your pride say, well, who asked you anyway, right? Um, or in humility, you can say, that was probably hard for you to do because that could have damaged our relationship. It was probably hard for you to say that. And it was hard for me to hear, but I need to hear it. I appreciate you being willing to say that to me and I need to consider your counsel. And that's difficult. The people that are around you that are always encouraging you, even encouraging you to make bad choices, I like to say they're helping you sin, those aren't your friends. 
Those are your enemies, and they're the ones that are giving you these profuse kisses that Proverbs is talking about. So avoid those people. Find friends that will cut you in order to help you, and avoid those that are trying to encourage and help and love you on the way to your own destruction in the false name of loving you. But we need to be honest about the warning signs that, that God gives us and not just pretend that they're not there. Whether it's coming from a person, whether it's coming from God's word, or whether it's coming from how he has providentially put things in our lives and things we can observe, we need to pay attention to warning signs. Now, the problem with warning signs is that they are everywhere nowadays. Literally everything has a warning sign. My mattress has a warning sign. I don't know what can really go wrong there. Uh, we're at the state of human existence where the little dishwasher detergent tablets have a warning sign saying, don't eat these, and that still doesn't work. Some people still eat them. But warning signs are everywhere, so it gets really easy to ignore them. And we often assume, if we're being honest, or at least if I'm being honest, these warnings are really for other people. They're for the stupids. They're not for me, right? We're too smart. We, we know the situation a bit better. We don't need the warnings. And many times for myself, that's what I see in a lot of real-life situations. I'm pretty solid on the detergent pods. I don't really need that warning. But for other legit things, I think that's a good warning for other people, right? My situation is a little bit different. It's a little bit nuanced. It doesn't really apply to me. Real-life example. Real-life example, you know the signs uh, at the shallow end of the swimming pool or shallow bodies of water that say, do not dive here, and they show the picture of the guy slamming into the bottom. Well, in a normal, legitimate pool, in my life, not since I've had children, but in my life, there's been plenty of times where I have dived or dove, I don't know, the past tense in that situation, where I dove into that shallow section where it said not to dive because I've thought to myself, that is probably a wise warning for most people, but I'm a pretty good diver, so it should be okay. Well, those warnings are there for a reason. I know somebody, my sister-in-law's uncle, who dove into a shallow body of water when he was a, a young kid, and he, to this day, is still in a wheelchair to where he can only um, move his hands slightly to move his chair, and he has difficulty communicating. He's probably close to 60 now. Ignoring literal warnings can have severe, big consequences like that. So when we see signs like no doubt, no diving in the shallow end, and we think to ourselves, that's probably a good idea for those people that aren't as good as a diver as I am. I've got this. That's unwise. We need to take these warning signs seriously. So not, not only with literal signage, but in our lives, God in his kindness gives us all kinds of these warning signs through his word, especially, but also through his people and through his creation and providence and we shouldn't be so prideful as to think that they don't apply to us. So some practical applications within this warning sign topic. Uh, number one would be to just to actually be mindful of warning signs, right? No, God does give you warning signs. And what are some of those warning signs he gives us? Well, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and convicts us at certain times. That's what we might call our conscience, right? that little sense in our mind when we're about to do something stupid where we have this feeling of, this probably isn't a good idea, right? That's a gift. That's a warning sign that the Lord gives us. Our own conscience can be that warning. He also gives us his word, obviously, that we're going through where he warns us of what certain behaviors, what those outcomes are. That's like what half of this book of Proverbs is about. And he also gives us the counsel of others, those friends that we talked about before. God will place these people and he'll put things in our lives to warn us to say, this is not the direction that you want to go. Don't dive here. Other people have dived or dove here, and it got them into trouble. Number two, which a lot of these are directed at myself, by the way. You're just getting the benefit of hearing them. But don't think that you're the exception to the rule. Uh, I tend to be an unjustifiably confident guy for a lot of things. Uh, when it comes to, to things that we need to do and how we need to move forward. So I personally need to take more of an effort to pay attention to warnings that things might not work out how I think they will. Um, so no matter how great of a literal or metaphorical swimmer you may be, we all need to be sober-minded enough and humble enough to go, you know, God probably put this in his word for a reason, not just for the other people, but for me or these friends that the Lord has put in my life they may actually be sharing this with me because they know something 
and because they love me and they're warning me, maybe I really don't need to dive here and don't need to swim here. I'm sure more than one of us has, has been stubborn in situations like this where we just push through and we go forward with what we wanted to do because that's what we wanted to do, and then we later regret it because we failed to pay attention to the warnings that were clear right in front of us, whether through God's word, through our conscience, or through our friends, because we thought we were special. We thought we were the exception. So don't think that you are. You're very special. Your parents love you very much, but pay attention to the warning signs. And the number three, um, this is pretty obvious, but we need these reminders, is to remember that God's way is always the best way. Uh, we get arrogant sometimes. We think that we know better. Um, the biblical prescription that we see here, ah, that's too high level. It's not considering all the nuance of my situation. It doesn't, God didn't consider all the variables here. It was a simple time back then, right? That's arrogant and that's foolish. If there's a warning sign right here in the, in, in the text, it's very clear in the text, or we're feeling this strong conviction from the Spirit, or we have our friends that are strongly warning us about something, this is a way that God shows his love to us. God wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is his way and not our way. Um, you guys are all probably too young to have seen or maybe even heard of the show King of the Hill. But I saw just in this last week a meme from that show where Peggy Hill, the wife of the main character, was talking to her husband, Hank, about something she was doing. And she said, believe me, I prayed on it, Hank, and God said to me, Peggy, don't do it. But I knew better, <laughs> right? And it's funny, and we can laugh at it, and we think, how stupid, stupid Peggy, right? But how often are we guilty of the same thing? God has a clear prescription for us, and we think, I think I know a little better in this particular situation than God does. We wouldn't want to confess that out loud, but I'm sure we've all done it. So remember the warning signs. Question six would be, have I considered the possible outcomes for my course of action? Again, these are, you might feel silly even writing some of these down. These are so obvious but in real life, it gets more complicated for us and it becomes difficult because of the nature that we have. Sometimes we literally just don't actually think through all the possible outcomes of the decision that we're making. Again, if you're, I'm kind of a, a big time optimist. I only see the happy path. I only see things working out precisely as I intend them to, just how I predict. And I don't think about other potential outcomes or the downstream effects. To Proverbs 14.1, I love this verse. I put this one in the New Living Translation just because the word order is a little more understandable for us. Um, but it says, A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. I'm not sure if you've read that one and paid attention to that before, but that's interesting. A wise woman builds her home, right? We get that. That makes sense. Then it says, A foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Now, in, in our lives, there are going to be some things that they just happen to us, right? We haven't done anything wrong. It's all things that are outside of our control and things go poorly for us or it has a negative impact on us. But this verse here seems to suggest that sometimes we are the cause of our own pain. We bring so much pain and suffering into our own lives and it's really nobody's fault but our own. The foolish woman that it's talking about here, it says she tears down her own home with her own hands. And obviously that's not intentional. She's not saying, well, I'm just going to ruin my own life because that sounds like a jolly old time. Obviously, she wouldn't be doing these things if she knew that it was going to destroy her. But by implication, she's the cause of her own destruction because she foolishly isn't considering what the outcomes of her actions are. Otherwise, why would she be doing it? She's not doing it to intentionally ruin her own life. So we're bringing back the pool table, okay? Back to the pool table. If I take this shot right here, that 12 ball, super easy shot. There's really not a ton that can go wrong by making this decision. It's not a tricky angle. It's a pretty straight shot. And it could be the obvious biblical choice. And watch this. I even animated it. Look at that. Easy shot. And I have the freedom to take that shot with a clear conscience. But if I make the decision carelessly, things still can go south. If I make it carelessly and don't think through other possible outcomes, it can still go poorly. Literally talking about pool here, for the three of you that I think have played pool, how many times playing actual legitimate pool have you had a super easy shot just like this one, but you hit the cue ball a little above center and you put topspin on the ball 
and it does one of these numbers. You guys ever done that? Yeah, I see the nods over here. You're not careful. You just see, oh, it's, this is an easy shot. I'll just take it without thinking about it. You put too much top spin on the ball, and the cue ball follows your striped ball right in. That's called a scratch, which is bad. In some games of pool, that means I have to take out the ball I knocked in, and I now the, the opponent gets a free shot from wherever they want, which I don't know how to incorporate into the metaphor. But since so few of you have played pool, I'm also teaching you about pool today. So bonus points for that. But the, the point I'm making is, if done carelessly, I can still make a good godly choice. I can say yes to a good godly thing, but end up in trouble because I didn't think it through, which actually lines up with Josh's sermon pretty well today. Martha was saying yes to good things, but she didn't think about the big picture and the other things she needed to focus on. That can happen. Okay, how about this one? Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So back to the table. We're going to, be, we're going to spend a lot of time on the table, okay? The simple, or the, the one who hasn't studied much, we might say, sees this shot and only looks at it at its immediate face value, that, hey, I can knock this ball in, but doesn't think beyond that. Right, just says, everything will be fine, I'll just knock this shot, I'll think about everything else later, for example. Well, the prudent man or the prudent woman connects the dots a little bit more than that. The prudent man knows, you know what, if I put a little bit of backspin on this shot, like this, whew, look at that. Now I've made that shot, and I'm also really well set up to take the next shot. Or if I make this decision in a certain way and plan ahead, that puts me in a really good position to make another good decision after that. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of mileage out of this metaphor, so you're going to have to keep up, okay? That's the idea there. We can make the same decision in different ways to put us in either a good spot or a bad spot. Another one kind of along the same lines, which would also go with our warning signs, would be Proverbs 27, 12. It says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So it's tempting. It's tempting to focus on just what is immediate, just making that one shot, just making this one decision, but we fail to consider the downstream long-term consequences. It's easy to do that, to not see the danger right in front of me, but to, see, to, to miss the danger that's over here after I make this decision. We focus on you know, just what's right before us. We focus just on this 12 ball and don't think about what's going to happen next. Um, we know we want to hit that one in, but we need to chain together the full domino effect, if you will, throwing dominoes in the mix now, but think about what it means in terms of positive and negative consequences of making this choice. This is a good choice, but what are the downstream positive or negative impacts of doing it? How will making this shot impact the shot that I'm even able to take next? So how will this decision affect other people that are in my life? What are the long-term, let's say, financial impacts of making this good godly decision that will mean that I can't do something else? What is this decision gonna cost me in terms of time and energy to where I can say yes here, but that means I must say no over here? And I think a lot of times, uh, maybe even at your age, how often do you sit back and realize after a crazy week, like, I have overcommitted myself. How did this happen? Like, where did this week go to where I was completely overcommitted and stressed out? How did I end up here? Well, it's usually because we haven't done that big picture, long math. We didn't consider each decision in terms of the whole, right? We just looked at it as a single decision. Saying yes to all of those things individually was probably good. It probably made sense. Each was a good thing to say yes to, but we sometimes don't think about how saying yes to thing A means that I probably need to say no to thing B. And that's, even though thing B is also a good thing, that's having the full pool table view picture. So some application with that would be, um, number one is to do what I'm calling the long math, do the, do the full picture. Uh, for many decisions that we look back on and think, it was unwise of me to say yes to that, we look back and realize, oh, I didn't, that decision wasn't a bad decision in itself, but in the mix of all the other decisions I made, it was an unwise thing to do, and that's because we didn't do the long math. We didn't consider all of the variables and think it all the way through. We, we maybe just focused on the immediate and not the potential consequences, right? 
So yes, knocking in the 12 ball, that's a good, okay thing to do. But what about after that? What comes next after that? So do the big picture, long math. Number two would be to uh, assess the potential risks, which would again go with our previous about warning signs. But say again, I'm a pretty raging optimist to the point where my wife probably gets annoyed by it. Um, but I very rarely see potential negative outcomes of my own decisions naturally. So I'm pretty good at seeing other people's decisions and why that's not a wise decision and what the negative consequences are, but not so much for uh, myself. I assume everything's gonna work out fine just as I planned it, why wouldn't it? So sometimes it benefits me to, to be walked through what are the possible directions that this could go. Um, whether or not I'm great at it, my exhortation to you would be that based on biblical principles, truly be willing to assess what could go wrong, right, both short and long term, based on the decision that you need to make in a given scenario. And then wisdom and maturity over time comes when you start to learn how to decide how much risk or how much unknown is acceptable for me as an individual, for me as my family, and so on, and being able to confidently move forward knowing you have considered these things. And then number three would be to uh, have a contingency plan, right? If after all of the above you decide to proceed, still have in mind what you will do if the decision that you made doesn't go as planned. Like, what are you gonna do, right? So like back to the, to the pool table, do I still have it on there? I don't. But the pool table, the 14 ball that was kind of up against the rail, that difficult shot that I mentioned, again, that's an allowed shot within the rules of the game, meaning that's a biblically permissible decision to make. You're free to take it, but it is a tougher shot, right? So have a plan for what happens if I miss that shot or, or my decision backfires a little bit, doesn't go how I thought it would. You pack up everything and you move to Colorado to, to go to a particular school there, but in six months we have like another COVID situation where you now can't even go to school and you're now stuck in Colorado. What are you gonna do? Like what's your plan to do while you're stuck in Colorado? Can't, can't go to school, probably can't get a job. I know that's a weird scenario that I hope doesn't happen. But be thinking about possible ways that this, what if this doesn't work out how I thought? And to use another pool term that, I don't know, 98% of you wanna understand and I don't really feel like explaining, but you don't wanna get yourself snookered. You heard that, heard that word, snookered? In pool, that means you get stuck behind some balls and you like literally can't even take a shot. So remember in the rules of the game, I'm not allowed to hit a solid ball before a stripe ball. Being snookered would be if the cue ball, the white ball is in a place where I must hit a solid ball to even hit anything at all. That's snookered, I'm stuck there. So if you're taking a difficult shot, especially to maybe drive the metaphor too far, in the pool game, you would want to take the shot in a way that if you miss, the ball is still in a pretty good position for the next shot. Or technically in the rules of the game, you would wanna make it a difficult shot for your opponent, but I've got no idea what to do with that, so forget that. Pretend you're playing pool by yourself. You want the next shot to still be an easier shot to take versus having an impossible situation where there's literally nothing you can do. So do the long math, get really good at pool. Um, but assess the potential risks of the plan that you have, the decision you're gonna make, and have a contingency plan. That's what the wisdom of Proverbs would have us do. Moving to number seven. This is a very important one. Could this decision jeopardize my integrity or hinder my witness for the Lord? This is a tremendous question to be asking yourself. And we want to know what would wisdom have me do in this decision? I need to ask the question honestly to myself, could the way I'm thinking of moving forward jeopardize my integrity as a Christian and could it hinder my witness for the Lord? Would this make Christianity make our Lord look bad? Could my decision, even if a good one, be misunderstood in a significant way that would cause my witness to be damaged? Maintaining our integrity, having a good reputation is so critical to our witness for the Lord um, we'll see later it's more valuable than great wealth having this good reputation. But let's start first um, with Proverbs 25, uh, 26. It says, if the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. So we don't use a lot of springs or fountains these days, but what happens if you muddy a spring or we have a polluted fountain? That means that any, everything that comes out of the fountain is now tainted. 
and you can't really fix that problem. The source has been contaminated, so that's kind of the end of the show. If you find out that our drinking fountains here are actually tapped into the sewer system, you're never going back to that drinking fountain, right? Even if they clean it really well, you're not going back. That's the end of it. No one's going to want to drink from these fountains or springs ever again. And when a righteous man gives way before wicked things, goes along with wicked things, that integrity is damaged in such a way that it is very, very difficult to unring that bell. That, that toothpaste can't go back into the tube. Um, or once you find out that the stuff that's coming out of the tube is contaminated, again, you don't care how pretty the outside of it looks, it's going to take a lot for someone to trust that the toothpaste in there is no longer contaminated and that it's uh, you know, not going to be gross. Proverbs 10.9 says, um, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. There's a few more of these. Proverbs 27 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. In Proverbs 22.1, which I alluded to before, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A favor is better than silver or gold. So what we have to remember is that the decisions that we are making don't only impact us. And if it's something that can wreck our reputation, that's going to have big ripple effects. If, if I were to have like a huge public failing, like it turns out back in 2006, I was driving at night and I hit two pedestrians and killed them. Didn't want to get found out, so I tossed their bodies in the Illinois River, okay? I know that was oddly specific. That did not happen, okay? But let's just say, nobody knew about it till now. Now the detectives have finally discovered a fiber from one of my shirts or whatever. I'm now convicted of double, ho double homicide, going to prison for 60 years. My name is all over the news cycle. Things suck for me now, that's true. But it's not just my name that's been damaged. My name is tied to a lot of other people. My parents would feel shame about this, and people are going to act weird around them, saying, they're the parents of that guy who killed two people like 15 years ago, right? My kids are going to be hearing things of people looking at them saying, do you know who that is? That's Chris Metalman's boy. Do you think he's going to be a killer too when he grows up, right? And kids are ruthless, so they're probably going to rip into them about that. My family's probably going to have to move because of it. But also Newcastle Bible Church wouldn't walk away from that unsullied. I'm an elder here. My face is on the website if you click in far enough. I have a position of influence and authority here, right? Did the church know? Did the church know that he did that and just not care? Those Christians are so hypocritical, right? That's Christianity for you, right? The reputation of this church, and most importantly, the reputation of Jesus Christ would be tarnished because of my poor decision-making however long ago it was in the past. That's an extreme example, right? But when we are making bad choices, especially those that we think aren't a big deal that only impact us, that's very rarely, if ever, the case. We are borrowing capital against the good names of not just ourselves, but our parents, our whole family, our church, and our Lord. And that's not something we should take lightly. So we have to ask ourselves when we're making a decision is, can this action that I'm considering hinder my witness for the Lord? Can it potentially jeopardize my integrity? And again, even if we don't think it's a big public deal. But you guys know how long these things can last and how big of an impact these things can, can be. Just thinking of a few names that, well, they came to my head. I don't know if they'll come to your head or not. But you hear names like um, Lance Armstrong or Pete Rose or Robbie Zacharias. Hopefully at least one of those names rang a bell. We know who Lance Armstrong is. He won all of the Tour de France's, turns out that he was on performance-enhancing drugs the whole time, they start to think, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Well, that's a muddled spring. Lance Armstrong can't do anything good anymore without us remembering how he fooled everybody and was a huge liar and a cheat. That's a, that's a polluted fountain. These are all three people that I mentioned were people that were, like, at the top. They were at the top of their field. Ravi Zacharias, I don't know if that name sounded familiar to you. He was a very high-profile, greatly respected Christian apologist. I consumed all kinds of content from Robbie Zacharias related to how I can defend the truth of Christianity. But his integrity and that of the other guys has been completely compromised, and that's like irrecoverable. Uh, I'm not going to recommend a resource by Robbie Zacharias to anybody anymore because I'm a little bit embarrassed of Robbie Zacharias, even though I don't even know who he is. I've never met him, right? 
So now that maybe you're terrified of making any decision at all, let me give you some, uh, some practical tips, okay? Number one would be to work toward the center rather than flirting with the edge. Let me explain what that means. Working towards the center versus flirting with the edge, thinking of like a cliff. What we often do is we think to ourselves, how far is too far, right? We start to tiptoe towards the edge and say, how much is too much? How close can I get to the edge? And then maybe I'll tiptoe back a little bit, right? How close can I get to the edge of this cliff without falling over? That's kind of where I want to be. I want to be right up next to the edge. Well, instead, let's think to ourselves, why am I even trying to get close to this edge? Right? Let's instead work towards the center. Let's scoot back behind the safety ropes a little bit here where there's zero chance of falling off the cliff. There's zero chance of falling off the cliff if you're working towards the center. But if our habit is to ask ourselves, how much can I engage in these worldly activities that I see my unbelieving friends doing, but still be okay? Like, still be okay with the Lord. Now, I know Ben Holman's usually the one always talking about sex in here for some reason, um, but I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll take a shot at it today. If you're dating somebody or you're thinking of dating somebody and you're trying to start thinking in your mind, how much physical stuff can we do before it like, crosses the line? Like, what counts? How far can we go? I think you're asking the wrong question. Right? I think we're too often asking the wrong questions which are setting ourselves up for trouble because we want to know how far is too far versus knowing what is God's design for this situation. What would God actually have me do? So work towards the center versus the edge. Number two would be, uh, this is an interesting question. I might have to explain a newspaper to you, but the, the idea is will this pass the newspaper test or will this pass the, I don't even know what to say. The, the test of where people would see this about you, right? So what I mean is, um, as an example, I'm on the stewardship team here, meaning that uh, I'm a part of a group of leaders that has a decent say in where the funds of this church go, like the Newcastle funds, where they go. And most of, if not all of those funds are coming from uh, godly people here, like your parents, or if you have a job yourselves, who are giving out of their treasures to the church to be used for um, the Lord. Well, as we're making these budgeting decisions, deciding where money should go, sometimes the thought will go into my mind, which I think is helpful. I'll think to myself, if we were to publish the line items specifics of our spending plan or send the receipts to the local newspaper or put it up on the screen on Sunday morning, would I like blush about that? Would I be embarrassed about that? Or would I go, yeah, I stand by that. I'm happy for anybody to know that that's the decision that we made. Questions are welcome, right? But if there's any sense in me where I'm thinking for, for a decision there or any big decision I'm making, um, and I'm thinking to myself, kind of hope nobody finds out about this. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. And wisdom would have me ask myself, would I be okay with this showing up in the newspaper? Would it pass the newspaper test? I want to sit here in front of you and be able to look at you all, my family, look at the world without shame, look at them in the eye and say, Back to the stewardship team, where we are spending the financial gifts of the people here, I believe to be good things, and I stand behind them, right? We are spending the money that God has entrusted to us in this local body. I'm fully behind what we are doing. No surprises here. You can ask me any questions you want, right? What I won't want to say is to sit to, for it to come out that, wait a second, that elder retreat that you guys went on, that wasn't at a hotel in East Peoria for like five hours. You went to Hawaii. You used our money to go to Hawaii. And I would have to say, yeah, yeah, we did. And actually, we're going to need you to up your giving because those bottles of champagne added up quickly, right? That's, of course, a silly example, but that would not pass the newspaper test. If we were actually making that decision, hopefully one of us or all of us would say, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think that we would want people to, to see that we have done this, and that's not because you know, they're stupid and they don't understand the nuances. It's because it's a dumb decision, right? So we need to be thinking of that. Again, that's a silly one, but there, there can even be, again, not a ridiculous option, but a biblically permissible option that could still send a message that we don't intend, that we should think to, um, that could give the perception of some kind of impropriety and could still harm our witness among our brothers and sisters in Christ or, among, or before the world. It may be a lawful good option, but perhaps not a wise and helpful option, like Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 10.23. So, 
Think about that. Think if it'll pass the, the social media test or whatever uh, equivalent of the newspaper you want to think of. And then number three would be to own your missteps and move on, right? I'll just be honest with you. You're not always going to get this right. I don't always get this right. right? Sometimes we are going to get a little too close to the edge. We're going to make a, a choice that ends up in hindsight being a foolish one. And again, it's not always the black and white stuff. This is going to be in the gray area where we didn't think all the things through. We ended up making a wise choice, and we look back and go, shoot, that wasn't the right one. That was not a wise choice. Um, I didn't make an obviously sinful choice, but in hindsight, I can see that my sin nature got the best of me here. My reasoning wasn't right, and I made uh, an unwise choice. We're all fallen sinners. That's going to happen. If we never screwed up, we wouldn't need a savior. But when you do that, so when you blow it on a decision like that, it's okay to say, yeah, I blew it, right? And own it. Own your part in it. Don't hide it. Don't try to cover it up. Say to the Lord, say to any individuals that you may have wronged, I'm sorry, I messed up. Would you please forgive me? That was an unwise thing that I did, and I apologize. Lucky for us, those of us who are in Christ, the answer from our Lord will always be, yes, I forgive you, and I count you righteous, not on account of your failings, but on account of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Right? That's the good news for us. That's the gospel. But even though the yes is guaranteed from our Lord, we're still called to own it. We're still called to confess it, and we're called to be in good standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, like Paul says in Acts 24, 16, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. That's the position that we want to find ourselves in. So if we are harboring guilt or we won't confess our sins when we do fail, it's going to be difficult to then go from there and move forward in righteousness, in the righteousness of faith, if we're still harboring the guilt for our past failings. The, the weight of carrying around guilt tends to not do us any favors. It actually tends to lead us towards more bad decisions. That is the pattern that we see. If you haven't seen it in your own life, you've probably seen it in others' lives. But we've been set free. We've been set free of the burden of guilt through Christ. So we don't want to forget that. So what we do when we fail is we repent. Right? We turn away from the foolishness, and we then turn towards wisdom, which the Lord has revealed to us in Proverbs. Okay, last question. We're going to fly through it. Question eight. Pregunta ocho. Question wheat for the French speakers. Anybody on any other languages in here? Good, good. I'm about, I about ran out there. But we want to think, is there a better option for a greater impact? So this is a tricky one, and this is why it's number eight. But is there a better option that would allow me to make a greater impact for God's kingdom? Again, this is an admittedly difficult question. But we should think, is there, I have an option before me and another one over here. This one's good, but is there an even better one that would allow me to be more influential for the kingdom of God? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. So he, he who is wise, he who makes wise decision, is able to capture souls, so to speak, to make the gospel smell so sweet that others are converted through it. He who lives in wisdom and practices these wisdom principles is somebody who's able to win others. They're, they're influential in their decision-making. So how can we be influential for the kingdom through the decisions that we make? Something to think about. And then Proverbs 14.23 says, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And this verse can remind us that hard work, like doing hard, diligent work Lots of effort are often necessary for success. So you want a good outcome for a big decision that you're making, you're going to more than likely need to put some work into it, right? And we should be willing to put in the necessary effort, even if it means taking on more challenging tasks, if it means we can make a greater impact for God's kingdom. This is difficult. This takes wisdom. I'm not advocating for always taking the most difficult path, but... If I can just confess to you, maybe it applies to you, maybe it doesn't, but whenever I'm wrestling with trying to figure out the will of God, I'm trying to figure out what God, God would have me do and what wisdom would have me do, I sometimes wrongly assume that whatever's comfortable is obviously also God's will for me, and I take the path of least resistance. Uh, if I have a hard decision to make, I'll go, well, this one must be God's will because, quite frankly, it's a lot easier. 
right? It's not going to introduce much stress into my life. And if you're like me, I'd say maybe tap the brakes on that perspective a little bit. Slow down at the next decision and ask yourself, is there a better option here that may not be the easier one, but it would be the better one because it would allow me to make a greater impact for God's kingdom? And the easy option may be totally fine, right? It's totally acceptable in terms of biblical parameters. It's within the circle of God's will. Um, by all measurements, it's still a good decision. But at least knowing me, maybe knowing uh, yourself as well, we also know that we tend to value things that make us comfortable, maybe that make us popular, maybe that bring in more money. It's not overly shocking, but we can get too comfortable sometimes. I can get too comfortable and consider maybe, maybe God is not calling me over to this thing that seems like a layup and maybe it even you know, has a lot of benefits for it. Maybe there's something else God is doing that I need to at least give a thought to. I need to be more attentive to what God might be doing over here that he could use me differently that would have an even greater impact. And this one's very tricky. Again, that's why this is the last one, right? This is a tricky one. And I don't want you to be overly questioning every single thing that you do because there's always going to be pros and cons with any decision that you make, knowns and unknowns. We can't run the calculus to do all of it. We can do the long math, but you know, there's always more variables. The earlier principles still apply. The earlier seven, we have the freedom to choose any lawful, wise option uh, according to the scripture. Any striped ball is still allowed. But I think that we would be doing ourselves and the kingdom a disservice if we just always took the easiest option. So some quick practical application before we run out of time. Number one would be to, uh, to ask yourself, what story could God be writing, right? You're in a particular situation, you have a decision to make, don't start with a question of which one is the easiest, but think what, what could God be trying to do here and how could he be using me to do it, right? What kind of story could God be writing through this decision that I need to make? What if, what if I were to knowingly take this choice here that is a little bit rougher, but it looks like it would have a huge impact on God's kingdom? Could God be using me to do that? Again, a life full of second guessing is not fun. That's not what I'm calling. So proceed with moderation. But then number two, uh, just quickly, these last couple, don't assume just because something is hard that it is definitionally not God's will. Something being hard doesn't mean it's not God's will. It may very well be his will for you right now to be going through struggle, to be stressed, to feel like you're overworked, but it's because God is building you for something else. God is designing for you to grow in your faith or to refine you in some way. This is not a guarantee. I'm not saying that the hardest is, which we'll talk about in a second, but don't assume hard means bad, right? Always choosing the more difficult of two options isn't going to do you any favor. So this takes wisdom. This takes counsel from friends. But we see in scripture that the Lord sent his, his prophets, sent the apostles, apostles on many very, very difficult tasks. It would have been easier to do something else, but it was to bring glory to his name. Maybe he could be using you in the same way. And then number three, understand how God has uniquely gifted and resourced you. So you've come to a crossroads where you've got to make a hard decision. You want to make a wisdom-based decision. You've gone through questions one through seven. You get to this one and go, what would I do differently if God were to show up and have a direct conversation with me? Am I actually allowing my fears to hinder me or a lack of faith to hinder me in going in a certain direction? And am I just taking the path of least resistance? Or is there an opportunity here for God to use the specific gifts that he's given me to do something here that glorifies him, even though it's going to be hard? Is this a harder option, but one that God has actually uniquely been growing me to be able to, to do it? Again, not saying that the hardest choice is definitely the best choice, but I'm also not saying, as I said before, the easiest choice is not always the best choice. And it doesn't make you like extra Christian or super Christian to always do the hard thing. People like that can frankly be exhausting, right? So I'm, I'm not trying to, to send you there. And I'll reiterate any lawful choice is a valid choice. But if I'm being honest with myself, right? And if I can extrapolate my circumstances to yours, I often look for what's easier. I often look, and look for what's not going to make me uncomfortable. I highlight that and say, boom, that must be God's will for me. So think about how God has gifted you um, and how he might be using you for something special that you didn't consider. So we're, we're out of time. So to wrap up, here's all eight in a row. 
I'm not expecting you to have like a little note card in your pocket that you pop out anytime you make a decision, okay? I will say that this side of the room took more notes than this side, but you may throw it in the trash on the way out. I would say, even if you throw the piece of paper out, don't throw these concepts in the trash, right? Use these as a guideline. Maybe it's not at all eight questions, but use these as a way to think through the decisions that you have coming up uh, in the near future. Find, find faithful friends, find faithful adults that you want to have this conversation with to help you process through these. Ask the Lord to give you discernment to know how to make choices that best honor Him and know in your head that the way that the Lord usually gives you discernment isn't through like a lightning bolt. It's through His Word. It's through His people. And it's through His creation. So use those resources. Also remember that the goal isn't perfection, right? God has patience with us. He's been gracious to us. He's made provision for our failures, past, present, and future, through Jesus Christ. But now knowing that, how can we grow in our Christ-likeness to pursue wisdom as Christ pursued wisdom? So that's my goal for you. I know that you're getting antsy because I've kept you over, but I'll pray, and then we can dismiss. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for um, the time with these students. I'm thankful for their attention, for their desire to grow in their knowledge of you. Uh, I pray that you would Grant them discernment that you would um, enlighten them through the Holy Spirit to understand, especially the book of Proverbs in these, these many weeks that they've been studying, that the principles become second nature, that when we have a decision before us, each of us, that uh, our first thoughts would be, what would biblical wisdom have us do? What is your will and how can we discern it through your word? I pray that for myself. I pray that for uh, the leaders at Newcastle. I pray that for each and every member and attender and these students here. We thank you for that gift. Uh, you, you were not under any obligation to reveal yourself to us in this way, so we thank you for it. And we most of all thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who lived a truly wise life and whose righteousness is our own through faith in him. Thank you for that in his name. Amen.